Open up our Bibles this morning as we do every Sunday uh, to Nehemiah chapter 3. We're doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Nehemiah. You don't want to miss these studies. These studies are very encouraging for us um, in the role that God has called us to as Christian men and women, um, to our homes, to others that are linked to us in our lives, and the work of God that he wants to do through us and in us. So Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll find Nehemiah in the Old Testament after the book of uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, then there's Esther, and that ends the historical books um, before you get to the book of Job and the poetic books. Chapter 3, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Once again, let's, let's just ask the Lord for his blessing upon the teaching as we do ask for you to just, Lord, touch our hearts with your word. And Lord, thank we're so thankful we're here in this place. May we be built up and encouraged, Lord. And may we uh, be teachable right now. Our hearts soft before you as so we take in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've learned so much about this godly leader, his name being Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, at this time, as we opened up chapter 1, was the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes. And we have looked at his godly character of this man whom this book is named after. He is a man who cared about his brethren, his heritage, God's holy city, uh, Jerusalem, that laid rubble for the last 140 years. And as Nehemiah had never been to the city, he, he had never visited Jerusalem. He was born in Persia. He has a very, um, you know, important status uh, as far as the world would say as being a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. But in chapter 1, the godly character that we do see, and we're going to continue to see it, that as he sees his brother that came back from Jerusalem, that he, number one, he cared enough to ask. He asked his brother about the Jews back in Jerusalem. When he heard that Jerusalem was still without walls, the people were in great distress, they're very much in fear, they're not safe, he was moved to tears. So he cared enough to ask. We saw, secondly, that he cared enough to weep. He wept over their condition. And what my prayer for us is, is that as we talk with others, that we care enough about them when they're really hurting. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. But as we see that there are those who are being plundered by the world and by the enemy, that it would cause us to weep. And so he wept. And then we saw in chapter 1 that, thirdly, he cared enough to pray. Seeking the Lord, praying about the situation. And then as we saw last week in chapter 2, that he cared enough to go and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. He gets permission from King Artaxerxes to go and rebuild the wall. And we left off in chapter 2 with Nehemiah coming to the holy city of Jerusalem and surveying the rubble, the burnt down gates. And then he let the people know why he was there. He would say in verse 18 um, that, um, as he would say in verse 17, that come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And then in verse 18, the people responded by saying, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. And moving into chapter 3, now we see that the work begins. The work of rebuilding the wall begins. And we can have a tendency to read this chapter. And we can see a list of people and a list of gates and a list of groups that are used to rebuild. And we can think that this chapter has a whole lot of information. But there's not much application. 
But what we are going to see is there is so much to learn because you and I, uh, we are called, every single one of us, that we're called to build something, the kingdom of God. And it's my prayer is that we take our time looking at these details of the work here, that it would be a great encouragement to us. They would cause us to desire to do the work that God has called us to do as we pray through these things that are recorded for us by God in this chapter. Now, keep in mind that as we travel through this chapter, the details that are given to us, a lot of people, a lot of locations that they did the work, that first of all, always remember this, that God knows your work. He knows your work. Have you ever felt or gone through a season where you felt like, uh, I'm raising my children in the ways of the Lord? Uh, I'm, I'm being a godly, you know, worker at work. I, I, I have a godly business. I'm, I'm desiring to please the Lord and serving him. But sometimes we can think, Lord, do you even see what I'm doing? Because I'm under such attack or I'm discouraged or no one thanks me. No one notices me. I want you to know this, that God does know. He knows your work. And I think about the letters of the seven churches of Revelation chapters 2 and 3 as Jesus turned to each one of those churches and he would say very first thing that I know your works. I know your works. And he knows your works as well. He knows what it does. He does see in the work that you do for him and a life that you are living for him, that is important to him. And I love that the Lord would say in the Gospels that he who gives a cup of water to a child is going to receive a reward. He knows all the little things that you do. He knows that mom and dad says you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord. He sees that. He knows that you're trying to be a godly worker at work or a businessman or woman. He knows, he sees when you're desiring to live for him, when you give that kind word, when you're serving people practically or here in the body of Christ, he knows what you are doing and he is pleased as you're desiring to do it as unto the Lord. Being the husband, the wife, the mom and dad, raising your children, uh, all those things as you serve the Lord and as you walk with the Lord and realize this, that every single one of us, as I've already said, are building something. You should be building a godly home and family to be building a godly business if you're a businessman or woman, a godly witness, a godly life. We learn from Jesus that we're to build upon him. And as we saw in our Colossians study last summer, not long ago, as we build upon him, the solid rock of our salvation, that as we surrender to his lordship in our lives, that he is to have preeminence in every area of our lives, every day of our lives. He is molding, he is building, he is raising up that which is of the kingdom in our lives and in our hearts, that which is eternal and impacting when it comes to building the kingdom of God. He wants to use you as it comes to building your life and the things of the Lord. So he knows your work. Always remember that. And even as Paul would write to the Corinthians, he said, be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. What you do for the Lord is not in vain. He sees it and he knows it. Second of all, he uses all kinds of people. He invites all of you to be a part of this building of a living temple, living stones being built together, as Peter writes in his epistle. Uh, this thing called the church, the kingdom of God. And this chapter will mention the rulers and mention the priests and the noblemen and different men and women and craftsmen. There's a place for everyone. 
And it reminds me, again, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul's writing about spiritual gifts, that he says we're all members of the body of Christ. And he would liken it to our own physical bodies, that there's many members of our bodies that work together so our body functions, eyes and ears and, and, and mouths, and, and we have fingers and, and all the internal organs. And every one of them are important, but the thing is, in the body of Christ, that we're all different members working together so that the body of Christ may function the way it's supposed to, and that is to be a light to a dark world, that we are edifying one another for uh, the building up of the saints, as Ephesians tells us, and you have a part. He desires to give you gifts. Sometimes we think, God could never use me. God won't use me. He uses all kinds of people, and he wants to use you wherever he has you. And maybe right now it is. I need to focus on raising my kids in the ways of the Lord. Maybe it's dads that you're busy providing for your family or you're taking care of elderly parents or you're serving in some capacity, maybe serving here at church. But each of us are a member of the body of Christ, giving us gifts, spiritual gifts to be used in the body of Christ. And as you use those gifts and each member is important, your work is important. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Do you know that? That means what he has called you to do and where he has placed you is important to him. And you and I, we are told we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works. That he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then thirdly, and then we'll begin to read the chapter here. That as we consider this, that I've already mentioned it. That it is a good work. As we read in verse 18 of chapter 2. Even as we brought Austin up and, and those who desire to be an overseer, that you desire a good work. It is work, but it is a good work. And anything that we do for the Lord, it is work. We are not to see it as a burden. We're not to see it as an inconvenience. We're not to see it as uh, something that's just going to um, weigh us down and, and um, you know, just, it's a good work. It's a good work. And what a privilege and an honor it is to serve the creator of the universe. And he wants to use you and me to build a kingdom that is eternal. So as we begin here, the building of Jerusalem and the wall finally, finally, finally begins. It's been nearly 90 years since the captivity was over. Since Cyrus the king made the decree that Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, you, you can lead the people back and you can rebuild the temple. And we talked a little bit about that, or if you've read the book of Ezra, and you know that the temple being built, the initial work was uh, begun, but then it was put aside. And Haggai, the priest on the scene at that time, that he would come along and he would say that you need to get back to doing the work of the Lord. But here, the decades continue to pass. And as they do, 90 years, almost a century later, the city still doesn't have walls around it. Streets still aren't built. And, and the people, they went and they turned inwardly. They were improving their properties and building panel houses. And they weren't safe. They were not safe from the plunder of the enemy. And I think that over time that perhaps they just got accustomed to their situation. And the point that I want to make is simply this. And I don't say this condemningly, but honestly. I think too many Christians, they go from week to week, month to month, year to year. Living the status quo. 
Too much emphasis on building your own thing. We all got cares of life and things to do. I understand that. But looking to those things to be your strength and security and, and the Lord desires for you to be a part of building the kingdom of God. Just doing your own thing and not realizing that the enemy is looking to plunder you. Not putting on the whole armor of God. That's something that we're to do daily because he is going to come against you and me and the work that God wants to do in you and your family and this church family. And Peter calls Satan a roaring lion looking to, to you know, come against you. He's like a roaring lion looking whom he may devour. So we want to make sure that we have these things in place that we learn from the book of Nehemiah as we're building a life for the Lord and not just be in the status quo of, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, it doesn't really matter the status quo. No, the Lord wants to continue to grow us and strengthen us, give us wisdom, and for us to put on the armor of God. So let's begin to look at chapter 3 as we read in verse 1. Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with the brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it and hung its doors. And it built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it. And then as far as the Tower of Hananel, as we read there, they would rise up. Remember verse 18 of chapter 2. They said, let us rise up. And do this work. Now they're putting it to action. They're rising up and now actually doing the work. It's the third week of January. And they say that 80% of New Year's resolutions, by the third week of January, 80% of people just forget about it. I'm not going to do it. I failed. I, I haven't been able to keep my New Year's resolutions. And maybe you made some. Maybe you made some and maybe concerning your health or lifestyle or finances, whatever it might be. There's nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. Maybe spiritually you've said, I want to read my Bible. I want to, to you know, pray more. I want to really seek the Lord. Um, I really just want to see what the Lord has for me in serving him. And a lot of times I hear it about this time of year is Christians will say, well, I set out to do a year Bible reading, but I've already failed. Listen, if the Lord is calling you to do something and, and you've fallen short, you have today, you have tomorrow. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. If he's telling you to rise up, then rise up and do it. If he's putting something on your heart and what you're to do, maybe it's to talk to somebody. Maybe it's to give a word of encouragement. Have coffee with somebody who's really hurting. To, to make a meal for them. To, to serve in some capacity, some way. And, and you put it off and you put it off. Rise up and step out in faith in what the Lord would have you to do. And that's what they're doing here. Finally, after 90 years, no more status quo. We're going to move forward. We're going to build this wall. And they're going to come against resistance and discouragement and all that that we will see. But the word built here is used six times in chapter 3. 38 individuals are mentioned starting with Eliashab. And we will see the phrase, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them. We will read that not only this chapter, but the next chapter. And I want to point that out because there's strength in numbers. You know, one of the things, and I've said this before, that a lot of times that, that my family and I, we've gone up to Yellowstone and we've gone in the Lamar Valley and you can watch where the wolves are and the grizzlies are. And especially in May when the elk are being born and the little bison, um, you know, are being born and, and they're all in the valley because the snow's up there. And you can see the tactics of the wolves. 
you can see what they do, and we hear of wolves here in Colorado, is they will try to single out an elk, try to single out a, um, a, a bison. And matter of fact, uh, on Yellowstone uh, social media lately, there's a bison that's down in one of the riverbeds that the wolves are just watching. It's all isolated and watching for it. You know, I know it's not a kind of a bummer for Sunday morning to mention that, but my point is simply this, that the enemy knows that if he can isolate you, it's easier for him to wait to pounce on you, to come against you. And that's why it's important that we're here together to encourage each other. We're going to see that, to build each other up next to them, because ministry isn't just me, it's us. And here we see that uh, this term being used, Eliashab, the, the priest rose up, he's mentioned first, the leaders setting the example and rolled up their sleeves to do the work. He didn't think himself as being too spiritual to do the work of rebuilding the wall. And they would build the sheep gate. And, and this um, gate here is the gate where the sheep that would come through this gate that they would use for temple sacrifice. So it makes sense that the priests would be used to build the sheep gate. And notice that they consecrated it, or consecration has the idea of they recognized that this was a special gate set apart for God's purpose and glory. The sheep gate speaks of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came and was sacrificed for you and for me. This is towards the north, the sheep gate. And I think about how Jesus... The lamb that was led to the slaughter would walk out of the north side of the city and he would go to a place of execution where he died for you and for me and for our sins. And he has saved us and now he wants to do a work in our life because you have been sanctified, set apart for God. And so the sheep gate is the first gate recorded. It's also going to be the last gate that's recorded in this and mentioned in the chapter Uh, The first, the last, Jesus is the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then in verse 2, next to him, Eli, Ashab, uh, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, and the son of Emery built. God doesn't just record these names just to fill up space in our Bibles, but there's many groups mentioned, as I said, individuals. Every person is important to the Lord, every ministry that you're a part of, every person in the body of Christ, every church is important to the Lord. And so in verse 3, as we continue reading, then also the sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate, and it laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the sons of Urijah, the sons of Kaz, made repairs. And next to them, Meshulam, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshzabel, made repairs. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baanah, made repairs. And then verse 5, next to them, the Tikokites made repairs. Um, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. As we read this here, the next gate that was repaired was the fish gate. This was located as you start moving to the west of the Sheep Gate. Between the two gates stood the Tower of uh, 100, Tower of 100 and Hananel. Uh, the towers were part of the defense system located on, again, the northern part of the city because that's where most of the attacks would come from. 
That's where the threats would come from, from the north. So they set up guards there. And what we will see that after they complete the wall and hang the gates, that Nehemiah, that a wise leader that he is, he's going to set guards, watchmen, to guard the gates and put them in front of the houses, it says. I want to remind you and me that we are called to be watchmen on the wall. Uh, we are called, Ezekiel speaks of that in his book, of the watchman on the wall to warn the people if an attack is coming. If there's pending danger, you and I are likened to a watchman where we're to sound the alarm when there is danger coming. We are to be watchmen, guys, parents, grandparents, to our homes, guarding our homes, what comes into our homes. We, me as a, a shepherd, I'm to be guarding here at church and they'll guard that which the enemy is trying to come in and 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 bring that which will bring harm and confusion or whatever it might be sometimes we forget about that as um you know part of my responsibility it is to be compassionate to feed yes to 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 love but also to guard to guard that which has been entrusted to me even as we spoke about as we ordained uh austin to, to guard, and you're to guard your homes, guard your family. Be a watchman on the wall. We're told over and over again throughout the scriptures to watch and be sober and be vigilant. Be on guard. Don't get sloppy in that area. Don't just say, well, you know, it's not important. We're going to see that Nehemiah says, listen, I'm going to set these guards, and you need to be guarding what we have done here. Even though the wall's been built, we're going to guard and we're going to protect and we're going to be watchmen on the wall. Now, the fish gate is where they would bring in the fish from the Sea of Galilee to sell. Kind of an interesting little side note. When Jesus was on trial before the Sanhedrin, the night that he was arrested, they bound him up, brought him back to Caiaphas' courtyard and Caiaphas' house where he would stand before the religious leaders in this illegal trial. And we know that Peter would follow. The, the disciples all ran away and scattered. And Peter would follow into the courtyard of Caiaphas where he denies the Lord. But there was another disciple that was there, we're told. And it was John. And it says that John was known by the high priest. Now, how was John known by the high priest? Well, most scholars believe that he was known by the high priest, but James and John, the sons of Zebedee, that they were fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. And they would bring fresh fish from the Sea of Galilee to the priests and sold it to the priests. It is also tradition that they would have a fish stand that was there in Jerusalem where they sold fish to the people. Matter of fact, one of the first times that we went to Israel when I was in Jerusalem, I was with a small group. And a guy came up to us and said, I'll show you where John's fish stand was. Of course, for a fee, you know. But it's tradition believes that they had a fish stand. They sold fish to the high priest, and, and that's how John knew the high priest. But Jesus would say to Peter that, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And Jesus is building our lives, and he desires for us to be fishers of men, to give the gospel to others. You might be thinking, I'm not an evangelist. Listen, all of us have a gospel to give to your children, to your grandchildren. To those who are linked to you in your life, as the Lord gives you opportunity to share the gospel to them. It's just not for me or those who have the gift of evangelism. Yeah, the Lord uses me, uses them as well to give the gospel, gives us opportunity. But all of us are called to be fishers of men. 
to, to give the gospel, the greatest news ever proclaimed, that Jesus loves you and died for you and wants to save you as you come and call out on the name of the Lord. But as I look at this as well, I mention that because verses 4 and 5 here, that notice that they made repairs used 35 times in this chapter alone. It means, obviously, to make something strong, to, to strengthen, to encourage. That's the work that Jesus does with us. As we come to him, he's the one that saves us, but also he strengthens us, doesn't he? How do we become strong in the best sense of the word in this life? It's built upon Jesus Christ. He makes us strong. He makes us strong in our weaknesses. He, he builds our lives as we build upon him the solid rock. And to remind you that he's given us the very best foundation in which to build upon. And we can do the work of the Lord to help others as we can come alongside of others next to us. Whatever that means to you in your life and the body of Christ to help build up others. I pray that we do that. Encourage others. That's why fellowship is important, as I said, not to be isolated. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of son, especially as you see the day approaching. We're seeing the day approaching. We're in perilous times. And we know that the world is mean out there. And so we can build each other up as the world wears us out. We can make stronger and encourage and, and bless others in the body of Christ. And we can do that because we've been blessed by the Lord and built up by him. But before we move on, notice here in verse 5, the Tychoites, uh, who made repairs, but not all of them. The nobles did not do the work. Notice the work of their Lord. Unfortunately, listen, not everyone desires to do the work of the Lord. Now, why didn't they do it, these noblemen? It doesn't tell us. Maybe they thought, well, it's too hard. Too much rubble. Can't be done. We don't have the strength. It's impossible. Maybe they're prioritizing other things in their lives. It doesn't say. But I will say this. They missed out. They missed out. I just wonder, when the wall was completed, if they didn't regret it. Say, we missed out. And it is such a great joy in our lives when we're involved in doing what God has called us to do. And there can be a number of things that can keep us from serving and being part of the work that he's doing, that he wants to do in our lives. We go through different seasons. I understand that. We go through different times where health becomes an issue or whatever the case may be. But don't miss out on the opportunities that the Lord puts before you to rise up and to build and to be used. And I hope and pray that this week, this month, this year, that we would just an honest evaluation. Lord, am I missing out on something that you want me to do? You've been speaking to me. Maybe the Lord's been saying, I want you to go and talk to that person that you know is hurting or you put on your heart. And maybe to give a word of encouragement. Maybe to make a meal for somebody. Maybe to, to just pray for somebody even. To do those things and maybe helping in practical ways. But sometimes we can think, well, I don't want to move out. I don't want to do this work because I'm afraid. And I know about being afraid. I remember when I first got into ministry uh, and came here and started a church. Uh, there was this gal that would come and 
You know, she loved the Lord. I think she meant well, but she would say, I'm not afraid of anything all the time, every week. And I'm sitting there, man, if I had, you know, I got a yellow streak down my back half the time. You know, I, would, I was afraid. It was a scary thing. And sometimes I become afraid. But I've seen men of faith in the scriptures that they were afraid. Abraham and Moses and David and Paul. Paul, don't be afraid. He would say to Paul there in Corinth, for no one's going to harm you, Paul. And I got many people in this city. And Paul would continue for a year and a half ministering there in Corinth because he had the assurance of the Lord's presence and protection, and and he wasn't afraid. Sometimes we become afraid. Sometimes we become afraid because we think, what's it going to do with relationships or whatever the case may be? And if the Lord has something for you, you don't need to be afraid. Sometimes we think, I'm not good enough. I got news for you. None of us are good enough. He doesn't use me because of me. He uses me in spite of me. And he uses us all flawed vessels in the body of Christ to show himself strong. And that verse that has become my life verse, you know it, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things that are despised God has chosen and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. You know who that includes? You and me. And I am so grateful that he desires to use the weak and the foolish things of the world and whatever he has for you. And none of us are good enough. You see, Jesus didn't come, you know, to to, you know, just make us good people. None of us are good enough. That's why he came. (laughs) I remember telling my dad, you're a good man, dad. But you're not good enough. You need Christ. You need him. That's why he came, to save us sinners. So we can think we're not good enough. Listen, look to the Lord. Trust him. Walk with him. We can think we're not gifted enough, not talented enough. Whatever the case may be, but he'll gift you as he calls you. He'll prepare you. He'll grow you. And to know that he wants to use us with our families and in the body of Christ, whatever he has, and know that he will be faithful. He will be faithful to you as you walk with him and look to him every single day. We don't look to ourselves, but we look to him, the one who desires for us to build something that is eternal and to be used of him. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. You know, one of the things that was a final decision, when, when Sue and I prayed about, it was 28 years ago this month when we were praying about coming up to Greeley, and, and she was such a great encouragement to me, Sue. She said, I don't want to live life with regrets. Because I'm going, I don't know anything about starting. I don't, you know, I'm him and Han. She's saying, let's go. Let's go. I don't want to live without any regrets. So don't live without any regrets. Trust the Lord and what he's doing in your life and the calling that he's given to you and how he wants to use you. Amen? Okay, so Father, we thank you. We thank you so much being able to go through these chapters. And these are things that are important to us to understand. They're recorded for us so that we can know that you desire to use the the weak and foolish things. And 
the base things and the things that are not to bring the not, the things that are. And no one glories in ourselves. We glory in you. And I thank you that you see our work. So I just want to pray for everyone here for as we desire to be godly men and women, moms and dads, husbands and wives, grandparents, whatever state that we're in, that, Lord, that you see our desire to, to please you every day as we build upon you. And, Lord, the work that we do, you, Lord, the, it's not in vain. The world may not applaud it. They won't applaud it. They'll come against it. And the enemy, we may not think that others notice, and they may not, but you do. So help us, through Lord, keep an eternal perspective and know this, that you want to work in every one of our lives. And whatever it is that we do and where you've planted us is important to you because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Lord, I do pray that we would leave this place, and if you're pressing things on our hearts, that we wouldn't just ignore it or make excuses about it, but we would rise up and step out. And Lord, that we would do what you've called us to do. And Lord, I do pray for anyone who is here. Maybe you're watching online that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ for salvation. See, he did the work on the cross. He died for you. And he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, was put into a grave, and he rose again after three days. And as you come to him, believing in your heart that he died for you, for your sins, and he's the Lord of all because he conquered sin and death, call out to him. He will hear. As you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you can do that right now. He is your salvation. You can say, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me on that cross and you rose again and you're the Lord of all. And I surrender my life to you for you to be my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for saving me. But Lord, also, I thank you for this new beginning that you have so much for me and walking with you. Help me to, to learn of you, to draw close to you. And I thank you I have a spirit of adoption where I can cry out, Abba, Father, to know you, to please you. I pray you help me all the days of my life. And for all of us here, that as we leave this place, just being encouraged and knowing that, Lord, there's a wonderful work that is being done in this church as we lead our families. And, Lord, that you will be faithful to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We're here to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. If anybody made a decision for the Lord, we want to pray for you. May the Lord bless you, and as you go your way, have a wonderful week in the Lord.